0: Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalmar. Today, I'm joined by Colin Burns, who's Global VP of Professional Services at Brandwatch. Previously, he was a customer success global leader at Sprinkler, overseeing employee training and development, customer engagement processes, and the customer success technology stack. He's also held digital marketing positions at AT AT&T, Match.com, Red Bull, and Chipotle Mexican Grill, which is basically my dream job. Other than this, of course, although I don't know, a podcast about burritos, there's probably something there. Anyways, I'm getting off track. Uh, Colin holds an MBA from Naveen Jindal School of Management at University of Texas, Dallas, and a Bachelor of Arts History from TCU. My conversation with Colin centers around a really simple idea talking directly to your customers. Novel, I know. But even in his VP-level job, Colin spends a ton of his time sitting in on client calls and asking customers directly, how happy are you? In a world where we can easily send out automated NPS surveys, to some, that might seem like a waste of time. But Colin believes something special happens when you ask your customers directly. Hey, Colin, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Glad to be here, appreciate it.
0: Our conversation is going to center around talking directly to your customers, but give me an idea of how you like to spend your day.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty regimented with my time. So Mondays, I keep really strictly to just meeting with my team internally. So we do a lot of where are we as a business? What are the upcoming priorities and initiatives? And we plan out our week from there. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm with our customers more often than not. Honestly, I meet with about 10 customers a week is generally the average i get those in tuesday wednesday thursday and then also a little bit on friday and that might be two to three customer meetings a day where it's an account review and qbr whatever you might call it where i'm just sitting in and listening and giving air support to my team as well as gauging customer health from the customers and then on fridays it's just wrap up stuff it's other things i might have to do just to close the week out and, and prep for the following week roughly speaking that's how my week looks
0: What ballpark percentage of your week are you spending actually talking to customers or or sitting on those calls? It
1: feels like a lot more than 50% sometimes. Sometimes it feels like it's a lot because I'll go customer meeting to customer meeting to customer meeting, but it's probably about a third of my time any given week. So 15 hours a week, I'm sitting in customer meetings in some form or fashion. Could be an escalation where I just want to jump on with them, could be just a random call that I'm spot checking or adding air coverage for, but about a third of my time I'm on customer calls.
0: You're VP level. You've got a lot of stuff on your plate that you need to do. Why do you think it's such a good use of your time? Because that's time you're not spent doing other things. Why do you think it's such a good use of your time to spend a third of your week on the phone, listening in, talking to these customers?
1: Because they get to hear what their challenges are, what our opportunities are, what their opportunities are. (laughs) what they need from us. I just get to hear it directly from them. I don't have to hear it in notes or on recorded calls or in one-on-one meetings that get a recap. I just get to hear them. And so that helps me in kind of shaping where the organization needs to go, where the team needs to go, where we need to do better coaching, where we need to hire. I hear challenges from customers that actually inform my hiring decisions. For me, it's the voice of the customer. Instead of relying on NPS surveys, instead of relying on in-platform surveys, I'd just rather get on the phone and hear directly from them and ask questions and just kind of cut through the middleman and just find out what they need. And then on the flip side, it's they get to see me and meet me. And so there's that sort of like, okay, the VP is on, which I don't see myself as incredibly powerful or special, but I think there's probably something that they feel like, okay, he's listening and I can escalate things to him if he needs. So it's dual serving. It helps me, but I think it helps them as well.
0: I was going to ask, and maybe this is a better question for the CSMs, but if, if you feel like it changes that feel of the call, having a VP, like, do you feel like people are more likely to open up? Do they get shyer around the VP? feel more candid? Or are they more shy?
1: I think I get more candor. There's times when I'll say, hey, how are things going? What can we do to improve? And it's like, good. Now I've got an audience that will, and he's really asking this question. It seems like this is the guy or, or woman that can make the change, right? And you can tell they sort of open up. So I think I get more candor. Which I appreciate, because I'd rather just be honest, like, if something sucks, tell me it sucks. There's instances where we get those. I was just looking at some of our, our feedback on the calls I've been in, and it's not always perfect. People tend to be more open and honest with me. Colin
0: mentioned a benefit here of getting that firsthand, open and honest feedback, and that's valuable for everyone, but especially for a VP. I heard something the other day that the higher up you move in an organization, the more filtered the information you're getting. So if a CSM is relaying information to their manager, who's relaying it to their director, who's relaying it to Colin, that's a lot of opportunities for the information to get distilled down and for context to get lost. But by being on these calls, Colin gets the full picture. No one is giving him their version of the truth. Colin gets to hear about it directly.
1: But this is my chance to get in front of the people who with the fingers on the keys. I might only talk to them once or twice a year, but that's okay. Also seeing body language, hearing the tone in their voice, hearing them explain things, it's pretty important. I might hear from a CSM that, hey, this customer is incredibly frustrated. But I might get on the call and actually hear them say, I'm like, no, they don't sound frustrated. They're just passionate about this thing. So I might interpret it a little bit differently. It's also just a second opinion on the situation. And my opinion might differ. And I'm not saying I'm better at deciphering the opinion, but you know at least I get to interpret it myself.
0: One thing you mentioned in a previous conversation is that you like it when customers have feedback. And I think by that you meant negative feedback. Can you explain what you mean? Like, Why, why is it a good thing when customers have opinions on why your product or solution isn't always the best?
1: My take is no software is perfect, right? If someone says is great, I think you're not using the software because all software will have a bug. All software has limitations. All software needs enhancements and has enhancement requests. So if you tell me that everything is great, I instinctively think, okay, you're probably not using the software because you would find flaws in it. And that's every software from Microsoft Outlook to Salesforce and everything and in between. So I want feedback. Because I'm also the type where my role and my personality is is a fixer. I like to fix things. I like to optimize things. So when I talk to customers, I want them to tell me what's terrible. It's great to hear. My team's great. The product's great. It's working. We're seeing tons of value. That's awesome. But tell me what can we do to improve so that I can fix the next 20 customers, right? Because if it's a problem with you, probably it's a problem with other 50 customers I'm not talking to, 100 customers I'm not talking to. So I need to know what's broken so that I can go constantly improve because we're like every software company we're fast and rapidly growing so we need to constantly optimizing and so i need that feedback from customers about what's broken so we can constantly optimize
0: so one thing i want to dive into is something i find very interesting that when you're on these calls you mentioned you ask customers just point blank how happy they are talk to me about this approach why do you do this like what does it actually look like
1: so yeah, so every call that I'm on, no matter what, typically it's account review or QBR. I ask at the end of the call, one through 10, how do you feel? Or one through 10, how successful are you? Or what value do you see? Starting that's kind of toy with the way I phrase things, But the idea is to really get them to give us a grade of one through 10. And it's my way of, again, cutting out that NPS survey or cutting out an email they might get and never respond to. I like to put people on the spot. I'll generally give them a second to think about it. It's just kind of always this awkward, silent pause, pregnant pause per se. And it's my way to put them on the spot and give us a number. And then immediately after they give me that number, the next thing I say is, okay, great. What can we do to move it from the number you just gave me to the next number up or two numbers up? right? It's been incredibly valuable. So we, we record the data, we record the number they gave us, and we even tag the feedback they gave us about what they want to improve. And it's provided a lot of data points. I was just looking at the data this morning, and we have over 160 customers we've asked that to this year. And so I have a stack rank of where my problems are based on the feedback they gave me.
0: And tactically, how do you do it? Do you always do it at a certain point in the call? Does your CSM kick it over to you? Like, How do you know when it's the right time to ask this question?
1: Yeah, it's usually the end of the call and there's a slide and it could be smiley faces or zero through 10 or emojis. We toy with it. It's always a little bit different. And the CSM always says, so I'm going to turn it over to Colin and he just wants to ask, how happy are you or the value you see? And yeah, they kick it over to me. And it's always usually about a five to 10 minute conversation at the back half of the call. And generally what I then say is great. Thanks for the feedback. Here's kind of what I heard. And then I also recap the steps from the call, basically kind of what I heard from the call on behalf of the CSM or whoever I'm with. And that sort of is the conclusion of the call. It is good. Customers are now starting to get used to it, the ones that I've talked to again. And most of them don't mind. There's regional differences. Sometimes European customers are a little different. In America, there's kind of regional differences as well. But you're always going to get good feedback.
0: A lot of stuff I want to dive into there, but let's start on the regional stuff. Like, What do you find is a difference? We can't generalize entire groups of people, but in your experience, when you're talking to European customers versus American customers, what do you find is different in their answers?
1: British folks are a little more harsh. They're pretty doom and gloom, the British folks. Everything's terrible. Here's what I need. They're very nice about it. But it's, uh, things kind of suck. This isn't a great spot. In my past, German customers are very direct and honest and to the point. And again, lower scoring. We need to improve. Here's how you can make our business better. You know, Americans, again, New Yorkers tend to be a little bit more like the British, You know, a little more rough. The Southern folks and the folks out West are a little more kind and things are good. And we appreciate the partnership. Sort of work your way back into where they are based on the feedback you get and kind of how they give it. But Generally speaking, there's some trends and it's good. You know, I, I know that going into it. And so if, if I get a terrible number from a certain area, it's like, well, that's just kind of how they think there. And that's okay.
0: So a, a British six might be an American eight or something. Eight,
1: <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's what actually we're doing pretty good. And, and if we're getting a British six, right? Yeah.
0: You mentioned that when you recurrently do this to customers, they probably get used to it and probably feel more comfortable with it. I'd love to know about that first time. Like, How often do you have to... Challenge people on their answers because I know one thing that's really easy to do when given a scale of one to ten is just say seven because seven is I'm not unhappy but I also might not have to go that much into details maybe maybe my seven answer is just hey Colin I don't want to give more in depth answers into this like how often are you challenging people on that first number they give you
1: on that first call? I challenge them a lot which is why I do it at the end of the call because I'll even pull back themes from the call where I'll say you know I heard you're having problems with this would your score go up if this improved right if it's usability in the product if it's customer support that you're having slow response times if it's a bug if it's you know we built a feature or if you had another solution from us that we just gave it to you that type of thing so i do challenge another thing that comes up a lot which is very interesting to me is people like to give half numbers they don't want to commit to a nine or an eight so they give an 8.5 it's almost like they feel sheepish about giving a lower number, so they give you the half number, or you're not quite good enough to get that higher number, so they give you a half number, which by the way, I always round down. I'm a pessimist. So if someone says, I'll give you an 8.5, I record in the system an 8, plus we don't have half numbers. So I do a lot of challenging, especially if like the tone of the call turned a little south, or they brought something up previously in the call that I'm like, that's a sticky point. I know what they're talking about there.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned... Your follow up question is always, What can we do to bump it up? Are you looking for different things when people give those, think of it, you know, NPS terms, those detractor scores of zero through five or six and versus seven and eight and versus nine and 10? Like, are are you taking different approaches with those really low scores versus the really high scores versus the people in the middle? Or is the approach always the same across
1: the board? It's usually the same. I want to leave it open to them to tell me what they need. We have a couple of things and trends we hear on the back end, right? product features, its support times, some of its pricing, some of its relationships, some of its best practices. And then of course, you know, we just don't see value in the software and things like that. There's some high level buckets, but I tend to leave it pretty open-ended and I don't want to lead the witness per se and the best that I can. So I tend to just stop and let them speak. If they don't know, I might go back and say, Hey, I heard something in the call. If we improve that, would that help improve your score? But to the best of my ability, I just I try to let the customer talk. I'm like, "This is your moment. We've got 10 minutes left in the call. You know, I'm your audience. Speak up." Are you using the
0: scores from any sort of coaching perspective for your CSMs? What do you do when somebody gives us a five versus gives us a 10? Like, what? How do you debrief with your CSM on that afterwards?
1: Yeah, a couple times have come back where it's like the customer says, "I don't see value in the software," or "I don't feel like I'm getting enough recommendations." I don't feel like I know what to do with this. And inevitably, that sort of ties back to the role of the CSM, right? That's when I'm like, hey, did you hear? They said it. Like, they need more of you. They need more recommendations from you. They need more best practices from you. So some of these are directly feedback to my various teams, right? The customer support team. I hear sometimes that, hey, you mistyped my name or you misspelled my name or you referenced me wrong in your support tickets. And I'll go back and say, you know, that's a good feedback. We'll audit our tickets and I'll have a manager look over how we're responding to you. So a lot of it creates good coachable moments. One of the things I talk about as a manager is you hire, you inspire, you coach and inspect. And so gathering this score is another way of inspecting the business to find coachable moments, right? Because you're hearing from a customer, you're inspecting the customer, you're inspecting their account, and you're finding coachable moments for your various teams. So
0: why not just send out an NPS score, right? Why not save Colin 15 hours a week and just send out these emails, have you know, in-app prompts? Why do you feel like you need to get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak?
1: You never get responses on those emails. At a previous company, we tried those emails for probably a couple quarters, maybe a year. Our response rate was 5 to 7%, somewhere in there. It was really, really low the end platform feedback is really, really good, but that tends to be the people with the fingers on the keys who actually use the software every day. And that tends to be really product focused about how they feel about the product. So that feedback is good, but for more for our product managers and our engineers and our designers. But what I want is I want feedback from the people who buy the software. I want it from the decision makers. I want it from the champions. I want it from people who influence budget. And so why do I use my time? And it's because of that. I want it from the people who, when we go to sign the renewal or, or talk about a renewal, you know I know their feedback. I know how they felt three months ago, four months ago, five months ago. So email is a low take rate. Platform is good if you want to see how they feel about the product and from the end users. But if you need to get from the decision makers, the person that signs the bills, they probably don't use the product that much. You know, they also get a million of these surveys every day, probably from their travel companies and their credit cards and in their personal lives. And so I'd rather just talk to them. And chances are they're more than happy to give feedback because they have the an invested interest in you, the vendor, to do more. So they wanna tell you. Again, it cuts out that middleman of a survey or, or the in platform notifications.
0: You mentioned before doing these, you know, emails and stuff, you probably got a five percent response rate. Is your response right now 100%? Is there ever a scenario where you don't get a 1 to 10 rating for people?
1: We have. It, it, very rare. Very rare. A customer will say, you know what? I don't feel comfortable there. Inevitably, we just read the room and give them a score, which always is very, very low. Because if you're not willing to tell me how you feel about us or the value you see, it's not a good thing. So it's about 99%. I think like once or twice this year out of the 161 of these I've taken, I haven't gotten a score that's for me is a very scary thing.
0: And I don't know if you actually weight the scores differently, but even kind of internally, as you do these calls more and more, do you then kind of give those later scores higher relevance? Because people have probably come into this QBR, whatever it might be, thinking about their number, they're probably more comfortable knowing, hey, Colin actually listens to this feedback. Like, Do you give those second, third, fourth scores a higher weight than the first scores?
1: So there's two things there. Yeah, the second, third, four score, definitely we have more weight to because they're used to it. They know what to expect. And they start to have a relationship with me centered around this. And so at that point, it's like, okay, they're really serious. They knew this was coming and they gave a real score. And we also tell them it's coming hey we're going to ask for your feedback on the call when we send the agenda over one thing i am looking into is how do we weight these by the persona so if you think about it you've got the economic buyer you've got a champion or decision maker and then you've got like a system admin roughly speaking those are the three roles of every every software application and so that's kind of the next evolution for us so when we've got the score Two, we got their feedback on what they want to improve. The third thing I want to do is start to weight the score based on who gave us that score, because that'll really help us start to hone in into a true north on renewal intent.
0: Colin's approach of talking directly to your customers to get this information takes out a lot of the issues people have with net promoter scores. Even the creator of NPS, Fred Reicheld, has issues not necessarily with NPS itself, but how people gather that information and then how they use it. Too often people send out surveys and say, hey, give me a 10 on this since it's tied to my bonus. That's not any way to gather valuable feedback. Other people also only gather a number, but no additional context. Colin's approach helps to get a genuine sentiment from customers and then have a meaningful, in-depth conversation afterwards to understand where they're coming from. So. We're living in the age of data right now. There's so many systems that you can look into to see how much time people are spending on the platform, see all sorts of metrics. I'm sure there's people listening to this who are saying, Colin, you don't know what you're talking about. People lie, numbers don't. I don't know if you think it's better to have these conversations instead of looking at the numbers. I don't know if there's some sort of a balance, but like, why not just look purely at the numbers that seemingly don't lie?
1: Both matter. We look at usage data all the time, about how many journeys they have live, how many users are logging in, the number of messages they've sent using our software. So we have all that data, but we've seen instances where a customer uses our software excessively, but then we get on the phone with the economic buyer and they say, your competitor's offering me half the price and we're just going to churn out your software. Because to them, usage doesn't matter. It's it's features and functions to them black and white. One is one, the other is the other. So I think you've got to have both. Again, Every decision needs a quantitative action and then a qualitative, right? So what is the data telling me? And then what do I infer from the data? What do I analyze from the data? I kind of see it as you know, product usage is my quantitative, but I also want to hear from the customer qualitatively, how they feel about us. On the flip side, I've seen customers who kind of sort of use our software, not really to its fullest extent, but they might use it for this one really niche thing that works really, really well. Uh, the data would say they're not going to renew right? Because look, they're not using a lot of our software. But then you get on the phone with them and like, hey, listen, you solve a problem for our business that uh, no other solution can do. And, you know, we have to use your software to do that thing. And we're definitely going to just sign this up for multiple years. And so, yeah, data isn't very helpful. And we have a ton of it about how our customers use the software, but it's not everything. Software is still a people business. It's still sold by people. It's serviced by people. It's built by people and relationships still do matter.
0: Do you think this approach of being on the calls and asking these questions in person is scalable? Like, is there a company size where you just can't do this anymore?
1: Oh, yeah. It's hard to scale, right? Because there's only so many hours in the day. There's times when I'm, hey, I got to go work on a board deck or, hey, I got to work on comp plans or, you know, hey, I got to work on end of quarter bonus payouts. There's other things I got to go do. So for me personally, I totally agree. It doesn't scale very well. I
0: appreciate Colin's honesty here that his current approach probably isn't scalable, because that's fine. I'm surprised how well he's been able to scale it in the past. He's had a ton of these conversations and continues to want to do it because he's learning so much and it's making an impact. Eventually, the approach might need to change. But if it ain't broke this podcast is called all about the customers. So like what's the impact to your end customers of doing this? Why do you think it leads to better customer outcomes to always be asking people these questions of like how happy you are on calls?
1: Mm. I think for the customers, they get a software service that is uh, changing and adapting to them and is tuned into what they need and is removing barriers for their success. Hey, I know they're actually listening. I've got a person that I can look at and talk to and see his facial expressions that is actually going to then adjust the organization on his side to make things better for us. And so to your point, it might not scale very well in the long term, but we'll probably figure out a way to scale it because you know, we haven't slowed down yet. I think the benefit to the customer is someone's actually listening. And I know I have a person on the other side that can make change and will do things to help me be successful.
0: One tip that you had that's kind of stuck with me is that you mentioned, you know, sending that in the meeting agenda is like, Hey, we're going to ask you about this. Um, Any other best practices you can recommend on how to make sure you're getting the best information? Any ways you can warn the customers ahead of time, phrase questions, better ask better follow-up questions and any things you've found to, to get the most out of this.
1: I'm a big believer in the Ted method of asking questions. So it's tell, explain, describe. So, you know, Instead of asking a very closed-ended question that's yes, no, or give me a number, I'll say, so tell me how we can do better. Describe to me what success looks like. Describe to me the value or explain to me the value you're trying to get up. So I tend to ask questions that way when I do my follow-ups. something I learned in sales training, actually, for various companies I've worked in. And it works incredibly well because people then... Don't just give you a one-word response or a couple words response. They they turn into a, it turns into a narrative response that works really really well. And then can only have fun with it, right? Because it is a little bit awkward. You know, I'll even just say like, hey, instead of NPS, I just ask it. Or if the customer has a really kind of fun quirky culture, you, we use Apple emojis or emoticons. We could put it in their brand style or brand color to make them feel like it's on their terms. Because again, it's awkward. It's a bit like when you were in high school or college, asking someone, Hey, are we dating? Are we boyfriend, girlfriend? It's kind of one of those weird conversations. I try to break the ice with a little bit of humor and the smile. Those
0: are really good tips. So I always like to end these shows off uh, the same way, which is making them really actionable for people. So the folks at home listening, if they can do one thing tomorrow today to make themselves more customer centric, what's some low hanging fruit that they can pick off?
1: Get on as many customer calls as you can first and foremost, and just, Ask customers questions and then try to find the breaking points. Ask for the dirt. Ask for what's broken. Ask for how can we improve. Ask the pointed questions, right? Instead of assuming, instead of trying to listen and just say, I think it's this, just ask. If we can just sort of cut the fact, cut out the middleman and just cut to the chase, I think that's a great thing that every customer success manager or director or VP or EVP, SVP should do Is is practice just finding out what the customer really thinks. You actually might even find upsell opportunities. You might find, on the flip side, you might find churn, but that's okay. That's our job is to mitigate one and, and grow the other. So I would say just get on customer calls. Like Everyone up and down the chain at an organization in customer success should be on as many customer calls as they can be because that's our job, right? Is to manage the customer, have a relationship with the customer and ensure they see value. If it's not your thing, it's probably not your role and that's okay. There's other roles in in software organizations.
0: All of our customers have some problems with what we're doing and you're not doing yourself a service by pretending you're not seeing this stuff. So I I agree. really have to ask these tough questions and do what you will with the information.
1: Exactly. Always ask questions because there's always problems. If there's not problems then your customers are probably going to churn because they're not using your software. Yeah.
0: This is great. Thanks so much for being on the show, Colin. Awesome, Dan. Appreciate it. This approach of getting on customer calls and asking your customers how happy they are instead of sending out surveys is a great idea. You know, maybe not all of us can spend a third of our week on customer calls, but couldn't we spend some of our time doing that? Automated NPS surveys can sometimes work, but let's be honest, they often don't. We don't gather much actionable intel, and most people just ignore them. I know I sure do. Call mentioned that a lot of customers are initially taken aback by this question of how happy they are, and that's telling. Sometimes we don't do the simple things like asking customers for candid feedback. asking them how they're genuinely feeling, You know, not trying to get a certain answer to game the system, can give us the information we need to better serve our customers. It's not to say that we can't look at other data to try and predict churn or gather product insights, but those numbers only tell part of the story. And as was talked about, sometimes they tell the wrong story. Maybe your customers are on your platform all the time because they have to be, not because they're happy. If you want to genuinely understand how happy your customers are, maybe you just need to pick up the phone or dial into that meeting and ask. It's not much substitution for having unfiltered direct conversations with our customers. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Now, why don't you go out and ask your customers how happy they are? Go ahead. I'll wait. Actually, I, I won't. I'm just going to leave that with you.